We've been talking so much about the life of Moses. There's so many commendable things, right? I, I, I've said it many times. I, I, I'm not one hundredth or a thousandth of the man that Moses was. Okay? But there's so many wonderful things that we, we have been talking about. But tonight is going to be one of these things where there was a failure on his part and what it cost him personally. Now, God was still God. God still did what He did and blessed the, the people. But it cost Moses something. It didn't cost him heaven. He didn't miss out on heaven or an intimate intimacy with the Lord or anything like that. But it, it cost him something. And just kind of a theme for our, for our night tonight, when we sin, and we're going to close with this same thought, when we sin as believers, the issue is not so much Oh no, I'm going to I'm going to go to hell now. I've lost my salvation. I'm going to miss out on all these eternal things. I'm doomed forever. If we're saved, we're saved. I'll say it all the time. If you're saved, you're saved. We sin as believers at times. But those sins can can have consequences. Those sins can be costly even though we're still saved and totally are forgiven by the Lord when we confess that to God. There are consequences. Sometimes God mitigates that. Sometimes He minimizes that. I don't think it's ever as bad as what we deserve. But I'm simply making the point that there are consequences in this life. They don't carry over into eternity where He holds it over us and says, remember when you lied, you'd been a pastor for a long time and you lied blatantly. He doesn't carry it over, okay? But there are consequences. And the consequences, the more we love Jesus, those consequences are more uh, costly. I think we look at them as being more costly. He's not going to let us get away with things. And in a sense, I'm glad of that. We speed every day probably driving from point A to B. And you can say we got away with it, right? His speed limit says 60. I was going 70 easy. And I got, I got away with it. No problem. We don't get away with it with the Lord. He forgives us. but And, and He puts the, the spiritual eternal consequences of it away. We're forgiven and cleansed. But there are consequences to it. And so there are with Moses' life. And, and, and I'm going to kind of keep it hidden until we read it. But there was one, you probably know it, but there was one little act. I'm going to say little with quotation marks around it. One little act in this noble man's life towards the, towards the end, okay, that really cost him. And, and the point we're talking about now, chronologically, is towards the end of the 40 years of wandering. So we've skipped the big block of time. Right, They got right to the promised land and the ten spies bought... They thought they were just going to go right on in. Moses probably assumed we're just going to... The spies will come back. We'll go right in and end of story. But they were turned away. The evil report of the ten spies and the people grumbled and complained and did not believe. They didn't enter in because of their unbelief. And they were doomed to to live and die and wander and live and die in the wilderness for 40 years. And Moses, being their intercessor and leader, was part of that. Now that was not his sin that cost that. Alright? It was not at all his sin. So they've wandered for, for 40 years. Miriam 
They're, they're led back after their 40 years of wandering, back to the, the brink of the promised land, physically, you know, like literally right there, to Kadesh. This is where Miriam died after, at this time. And um, they've spent a few months there. And we know for a fact that of, of those whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, that first generation, adult generation that came out of Egypt, they wandered 40 years in the desert. And one by one, just in, probably just in natural ways, they, they died off. And they had children that grew up and probably had children under them in a 40-year period of time. And so we know for a fact that Moses didn't die in unbelief. Joshua and Caleb and Aaron didn't die that way. And Miriam died right there soon before they were to go in the Promised Land. But what happened was there was a, the people, this new generation comes along and guess what they needed? They needed water. Well, didn't, didn't God take care of that many years before, right? The water coming out of the rock and so forth. This new generation begins to grumble and complain. They begin to accuse Moses. And I want us to just read it now. So let's, let's turn in our Bibles to, we're going to read two passages. We're going to start in Exodus. Because in Exodus chapter 17, this was the first time, and we studied this months and months ago, the first time that, that the children of Israel needed water. They're in the wilderness, they're in the desert, they didn't have any water. It was just weeks after they had come out of Egypt. So it was all fresh and new. All right? Then they're, they're learning how God can provide for them. And this was the first time. So this is a rewind of 40 years from what we're talking about tonight. Exodus 17, 3 through 6. And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go out before the people, and take with thee the, the elders of Israel, and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take it in thine hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come out water out of it shall come out water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So that was, we're going to just say for, you know, for our sakes, 40 years before what we're going to read tonight. All right? So that was the first time. Water came out of the rock, just like the Lord said. Turn to Numbers chapter 20. And this is what we're focusing on tonight. Numbers 20, we're going to read a little bit more. We're going to start in verse 5 and read through verse 12. And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us unto this evil place? It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and fell upon their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. So this is their, this has become Moses' normal practice and position, right? To instantly 
not not take up some kind of argument or or plans A, B, and C with the people and or anything like that. His first response was always go to God. Before them, publicly, they would see him. He's going to the door of the tabernacle. Him, him and Aaron and the Lord appears to them there at the tabernacle. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. Everything's going fine right here, right? Just like it should have gone. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because you believed me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Israel, Therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Short and sweet are not so sweet. Short and bitter, I guess you could say. This, this was, the, congregate, this was the, the generation that Moses probably had high hopes for. Maybe they will learn the lesson that their parents failed to learn, right? 40 years ago. And, and yet they're, they're back in the same spot of grumbling and complaining and murmuring. So he calls upon the Lord like he does. But what happens here? Can, can you all see? I know that this is not the first time you've ever probably heard a lesson or sermon on this. But do you see what? Because Moses sinned in this. You, you and I could say it's a little sin. And after all, he was such a godly man, and we can go on and on about that. But the fact of the matter is, he sinned. And what was his sin? What specifically did he do? Because it did cost him, right? He, the Lord tells him the consequence of that sin is, was because of that sin. In verse 12, which we'll get to in a little bit. But what we see here is, I believe, and... Well, we know what God says, but just embellishing on it or adding to it a little bit that Moses obviously got into his flesh. We talk about it all the time. Oh, I got in my flesh. I got in my flesh. And I don't know if half the times we even understand what that means. But here we see a clear picture of it. God told him what to do, right? And he goes out and he was angry. I can't blame him for being angry. Jesus get, got angry. Jesus turned over the tables of the money changers. He did that in anger, but he didn't get in his flesh. It was a holy, righteous anger. He was still governed by the Holy Ghost. He didn't step outside of the will of God. He, I'm talking about Jesus when he cleansed the temple. He took his time to make that whip. You know what I'm saying? Before he went in there, he knew what he was going to do and he executed and fulfilled part of his earthly ministry in doing that. The Bible says be angry and sin not. So we can get angry at sin and sin not. Nothing wrong with getting angry if it's a holy righteous anger. But it looks as though Moses took upon himself. 
Hear now, ye rebels. Okay? God didn't say, go rebuke the people. We could say there would have been nothing wrong if God had said that. But He didn't say that. He basically said, go out and I'm going to supply the water for the people. They're grumbling, they're complaining, but I'm, I'm like the nurse and mother that's taking care of them, and I'm going to provide the water for them. Here's what I want you to do. And, and Moses, he spoke, uh, he spoke to the, the whole assembly as if the gift of water depended upon him. Now, this is serious. This is significant. Moses addressed the people. This was not the characteristic of his life before this, and I'm sure not after this. I can promise you Moses learned his lesson from this. And so we're not going to characterize his whole life saying he died a rebel, okay, or something like that, or in sin. He did not. But this was sin. He spoke as if the gift of water depended on himself. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? God's not going to allow that even with his friend Moses. God is God. Okay? And we're not. If we serve God and we come intimate walk with God and we're used greatly by God, that's a blessing to us to walk that way with the Lord. But He's still the Lord and we're not. And it was at this moment probably that angels were chosen to find the place where they were going to bury Moses not too long from them on the top of Mount Pisgah which we're going to talk about in our next, uh, in our next sermon, uh, you know, lesson when we talk about it. But what happened was, what, what was the problem? And the problem was this, there was disobedience. It's very clear disobedience. When you look at somebody that's doing horrible things like murder and idolatry and things like that, those stand out. It's so easy to see. But we have to look at this a little more closely to see where was the disobedience. And we might think, isn't it good that we're not God? We might think, we would categorize it and say, compared to this sin, that sin's not really that bad. After all, as I said, Moses was the one that knew God, walked with God, interceded for the people, served God, trusted God, which he did. What was his sin? It was this disobedience. There was disobedience in this. And I know that you picked up on it. What was the difference in the account we read from Exodus 40 years before and Numbers 20 40 years after? Both times he's, he's called by the Lord to go out. God has the problem solved. Water's going to come from the rock as you bid. He was commanded in Numbers this second time to what? Speak unto the rock. That's what it says, right? Go out. Take your, your uh, in verse 8, take your rod, gather the people together, and speak ye unto the rock before the eye, their eyes. So this is a public thing as well. I think if it had been a private sin, God could have dealt with him privately. But this had to do with God and his testimony and his, his name, so to speak, before these people. And Moses goes out there and he, God didn't tell him to rebuke the people at this time. He didn't tell him to smite the rock. He said, speak ye to the rock and it's going to give its water. All right. And so he goes out and not only did he not speak to the rock, he spoke to the people in anger and he smote the rock. He smote it twice. As a matter of fact, you can just picture that. Well, we've been fed up like that, too. 
and just bam, bam, okay? He hits the rock with the staff in his hand. And this, he, he failed. The, the sin, the way that God summarizes this sin is in verse 12. Because you believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you're not going to bring this people into the promised land. And so he, think of it this way. When we are known as being the child of God, the Christian in your workplace, in your family, at family reunions where a lot of the family may not know the Lord or something like that, or you go to a high school reunion and everybody knows you're the believer and, and they're not, God is going to absolutely expect more from you and from me. From me and from you is what I'm saying. To Moses was that one that God had chosen to lead the people. And he had to be an example to the people in this, of obedience. In this instance, he was not. He was not an example of obedience to the people. Every jot, every tittle is to be fulfilled. It's to be fulfilled the way that God gave it to us. And what Moses did, you know what he did? He inserted his own will. Do y'all see that? You say, what's the big deal? Speak to the rock, hit the rock. It's a big deal because God said speak to it. He never said hit it. Don't smite it. And so that makes it a huge deal. That makes it everything. And so Moses was to be a witness or a testimony or an example of obedience to God. And instead, he substituted his own will in there. And God was not going to tolerate this. Again, didn't send him to hell. Didn't smite him down with a lightning bolt. He dealt with him and he, he suffered a consequence because of it. Right? God is sanctified when he says, you failed to believe me and you failed to sanctify me before the people or in the eyes of the people. They were all watching. This was a God thing. It wasn't a Moses thing. It was a God thing. And Moses, in that little sense of anger, made it about himself. He didn't do exactly what God says. Therefore, he didn't do what God said. And it, it drew attention to himself. And what we should learn from this, among other things, is that God, God is sanctified when we obey Him. That's a very simple thing. That means for you and me who are not in the public eyes and we're not leading a nation and we're not, there are not books in the Bible written about us, but God is sanctified in us when we obey the Lord. When we obey Him quickly, we, we obey Him fully, when we obey Him in detail to what He says. Partial obedience is not obedience. We've talked about that before. Of, of putting my twist on it. Saying, well, this is God. what God said. I'm going to kind of do pretty much that. The end result will be the same. But God, that's not the same. It's not the same in me and the Lord. In our relationship. Because He said to do a certain thing. He's sanctified. Because you know what it does? With Moses just as a pattern. Over and over and over. God says do this. Hold out your staff before the Red Sea and command the people that they go forward. And I'm going to part the Red Sea. Uh, you know, have the tabernacle built according to the pattern. Right? Whatever it was. 
when he would obey. God speaks, Moses obeys. God speaks, Moses obeys. It's showing that through Moses, that God is the supreme authority. God is the supreme authority. He is to be obeyed. It's showing that to the people. It's showing that through their leader who they loved and admired and feared. Okay? In a certain, in a good sense, like a godly fear towards Moses. It's showing that our leader is under authority. Our leader has, without question, Jehovah as the authority over him. So this is very important. This is why the Lord's saying, you fail to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. And so we have to question and check our own lives and kind of identify with this and say, am I obeying the Lord? Am I obeying the Lord fully or just in general terms? Just sort of, you know, I'm not sinning. I'm not doing all these horrible immoral things and so forth. I'm following after God, but am I following what He's called me to do? What He has spoken in His Word? What He's specifically spoken to your heart and my heart? And so we can identify with Moses that yeah, he got fed up. They were ungodly. They were wicked. And he was just fed up with it. And some of that flesh came out. But there was, it wasn't about Moses. It wasn't about Moses. If God can bear that long and patiently with the people... Shouldn't Moses be able to bear that long and patiently with the people? Hadn't God been patient with Moses himself? You know, those years he prepared him to be the leader of Israel and so forth. And we need to, to learn from that and not, not try to minimize. I think what we do sometimes, just in general, maybe you're not guilty of this, we, we might minimize things and say that was such a little thing he did compared to their sin. And I would agree with that. He didn't live and die in unbelief. We read in Hebrews 11, by faith Moses. Okay? We know he's in heaven. We know he's with the Lord. And was used greatly by the Lord. But we can't minimize it. And I said, the closer we get to God, the more we're known as being a Christian, the more is expected of us. Dirty, uh, off-color jokes that you might have listened to in a group of people because you were kind of embarrassed to to stand out and make any waves. Come on, as a believer, God's going to hold us more and more responsible for that. The longer we walk with the Lord, people know you're a Christian now. You've witnessed to them. You've shared Christ with them before. And now you're in that same group of people. He's going to expect more from you in the sense of your testimony and His testimony in our lives. Do you all understand that? That's too much is, to whom much is given, much is required. And I would say that goes with our testimony for Christ, our intimacy with Christ as well. Amen? And so, uh, so we, there was disobedience and there was unbelief. He says, you did not believe me and you did not sancti- to sanctify me in the eyes of the people. And so it's almost as though, and I know that Moses didn't really, really believe it, but in this moment, the appearance was that he had to fetch the water. It's unbelief in the Lord. And I've got to get you rebels the water. And maybe even there was some trust, and too much reliance upon himself. He inserted himself too much in the whole equation. 
in the process of water being brought. He, he put too much upon himself, maybe even on the rod. You know, like this instrument's been used to smite the waters and turn to blood in Egypt and to, to do all these different things and apart the Red Sea. And, you know, we don't read that the Bible tells us that, but maybe uh, he thought too much of himself and it minimized the Lord. Okay, it minimized the Lord. And so I want us to, to think about this for just a moment. It is possible for us to insert ourselves too much in it, to make ourselves in our own minds too necessary to the whole work of God. And we are not. You know, I'm a pastor. I can say, well, that's a pretty big position. And yet, I'm not necessary for the Lord to do anything that He desires to do. Does that make sense? He is able to do, save people, disciple people. He can raise up a million pastors if He wants to. Or Sunday school teachers. We make ourselves... We can tend to get comfortable and we get recognition and respect and honor. And the Bible does say, even within the house of God, give honor to whom honor is due, praise to whom praise is due. So we're not ignorant of that. And God puts people in those positions and they ought to be uh, honored in a godly sense. But we can't trust in this is going to be good tonight because I'm a pastor. This is really going to be good, this Bible study, because I've been teaching the Bible for 30 years. Sunday school is going to be awesome because I'm going to be teaching it. You understand my point? To making ourselves, God can do whatever He wants. We know clearly He spoke to a donkey. That is a historical fact in the Bible. He spoke to a donkey and rebuked this so-called prophet. So, or maybe we get to trusting in a method. I'm kind of relating that to the rock. Before us. You know, I smoked the rock before. I got to do it again. This time I'll do it twice. Maybe twice as much water will come out. I'm not saying that Moses thought that. But couldn't we trust in methods as well? Couldn't the modern church trust in methods? Oh, the last time there was a revival that was really good or God moved mightily among His people, we did A, B, and C. So I need to go back and repeat A, B, and C. Well, God, guess what? God may not want to do that same thing with A, B, and C. He might want to use a different person. He might want to use a lay person instead of a pastor this time. He can do whatever he wants to do. I don't want to trust in methods. We need to trust in God. You understand what I mean? When we go to witness in Foxy's or do the Bible study tomorrow at Foxy's, we have a pattern. There's no doubt we have a pattern of how we do it over there. And it's what God's given us. He hasn't shown me to change it, so we're not just going to change it to change it. But if he does want to change it, he's not limited to my prescription. If we started this in another neighborhood and he wanted to do something different in that neighborhood. Oh, no, no, no. This is our method. It works every time. We need to be led by the Lord in what we do and how we do. And so you could say in this sense that maybe this was unbelief. And we need to be careful. Okay? We need to be careful because... And, and I want to relate this to us. One of the things we think of when we think of Moses, what is the Bible? If you were to think of one or two words of Moses, I think of faith. Hebrews tells us that he's in that hall of fame of faith. And meekness, because the Bible says 
He was the most meek man on the face of all the earth. He was after this as well, by the way. Okay? But we have to be careful. One of the things that I've, I've, I think God would have us to get from this is that we need to be careful ourselves. Those that have been walking with the Lord for some time now. You've got a, little, a lot of miles behind you, so to speak, in your walk with the Lord. This isn't your first rodeo. You've been walking with Jesus. You've had ups and downs. You've served God. You've shared your testimony. You've lived for God. You've and know what it means to walk with God. We have to be careful because this was late in Moses' life. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in Midian in the wilderness, 40 years in the desert, wandering with the children of Israel and leading. He still led them during that time and was a faithful leader. So he's about 120. This is right at the end of his life. He made a failure. He made a... Uh, a sin. And look where he fell. He fell in unbelief. This is what the Lord says. I don't have to figure it out. He says in verse 12, you didn't believe me to sanctify me in the eyes of the people. He fell in unbelief. Again, I think it was a blip on the radar. It's what didn't characterize his life, but he did it. And he fell in pride. Of all things, Moses Fallen in pride. He, he wasn't a meekness that was coming through. You rebels, here tonight must we fetch you water. Bam. And hits the rock. It was something lifted up in him. Yes, you could say he was angry. Obviously he was angry. And yet, he fell in a strong point. I guess that would be my point. You have, I could look at some of you. I don't know all of your ins and outs of your lives, but I can look probably at each of you and name some strong points in your life. Praise God, you have some wonderful strong points in your life. You really do. I could look at you and say your, your patience, your humility, uh, your steadfastness to serve God, your, your diligence to, to pray and to serve God. I could look at different things and say those are strong points in your life. You know, I would want... I would want you to teach us, teach our church on patience because I see such patience in your life or steadfastness in your life. You know what I mean? I see that. So Damien, come teach that to us. I see it as a strong point in your life. We need to guard in the strong points of our life and not leave it unguarded simply because we think it's a strong point in our life. Talk about a strong point morally, a strong point spiritually. This is a, a poster child example of that. Meekness and faith. And he falls in this moment in unbelief and pride. At the end of his life. Or the, towards the very end of his life. And I'm simply saying I think God would have us to, to be careful to watch him pray. Especially in those areas that we might feel I can leave this unguarded. I can let my guard down in this area because I'm really strong here. I'm really strong in Jesus and spiritually right here. I've got a brick wall here and I'm never going to fall in this area. And so we might turn our attention to other things and we leave it unguarded. That's all I want to say about that. We need to guard ourselves even in those places where we feel strong. Amen? And so... 
I'll be bringing this uh, you know, to a close here, but think about what he did. And, and, and there, was, there was this arrogance in him, I guess, in the sense that he didn't completely obey the Lord where, the, where in the past the rod was needed to smite the rock. In the present time, 40 years later, all that was needed was a word. Just speak the word. Why, is, why was it different? I, I can't say. I can look at what I, what I believe the, the, is the, the reason behind this. But the Bible tells us that, that that is something we have to watch. As I was talking about earlier, when, when David was anointed king, when he finally became king, not just when Samuel anointed him, but when he took the throne and all Israel made him king all these years later, the Philistines heard about it. And they mounted an attack. They wanted to get him first day in office, basically. Okay? And so David hears about it. And he says, Lord, shall I go out and fight them? They're gathered together. The Lord says, go out and fight them. I'm going to give them into your hands. David goes out and fights them. A great victory. They take a spoil. They chase them. They win the victory. They come back. Just like God says. Guess what? The next day, the, the Philistines regrouped. They didn't ever one of them die. They regathered for a second battle. They come back. And what I would have probably done, and I've not been learning from God, from His Word, okay, they're coming back for some more abuse. We're going you know, to wear them out again. No questions about it. I would just run back out there and wipe them out again, right? David was wise. He didn't just run back out there and fight the Philistines again. You know what he does? He goes to the Lord like he did the first time. God, do you want me to go back out and fight the Philistines? No, I don't. Here's what I want you to do. Isn't it a good thing he asked? <laughs> what if he'd have just gone out there? No, I don't want you to do it like you did last time. I want you to go over and fetch a compass, he says, and get back here at this certain spot. And what time you hear the, the wind blowing through the top of the mulberry trees, you ever want to just Google mulberry trees? It's the only spot I think in the Bible that it talks about. It's a great story. Get it when you hear the wind coming across the top of those mulberry trees, then you go out and fight because the Lord's going out before you. That's the sound of the Lord coming through the tops of those trees. He's going to deal with an enemy for you. Uh, and so David did that. It was just like God said, and they won another victory, but he waited. My point of that is very simple. We don't just do something because we did it. Now, if God's Word tells us, and it's a, a, a practice, you know what I mean, a fundamental of our Christian faith, that's, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about things like this. The water from the rock. Going out to fight a battle. Maybe the last time you witnessed to your brother, you did it this way. This time, when you, want, you know you're supposed to witness to him again. And God says, I want you to start out this way. I just want you to go in there and sit before him and tell him how much you love him. I just want you to go talk to him about his life and see what he's going through and what trials he's... You know what I mean? He might say something totally different. The first time you did what you were supposed to do, seek God and do what you're supposed to do the second time. And maybe the third time or fourth time. And so here's where I think was the... We know it was unbelief and he failed, failed to sanctify the Lord in the eyes of the people. But here's what magnifies Moses' sin and makes it so big. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. This is the last verse we'll read together. 1 Corinthians 10.4 1 
the Bible is just amazing, y'all, when you really think about it. And the more you dig into it, and the Old Testament and the New Testament, how it all ties together. Look at 1 Corinthians 10.4. We'll, we'll read 3 and 4. Speaking about the children of Israel in the wilderness. And they did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock, capital R, that followed them and the rock was Christ. It tells us that. It's not left for Bible scholars to try to figure it out. He's telling us the rock was Christ. So now think about it. What happened with the rock? The first time it was smitten. Jesus was smitten on the cross. How many times? How many times did He die for the sins of the world? Once. When He raised again, He wasn't taken and killed again and abused or, or stoned or thrown off a cliff or something like that or had His head chopped off or anything like that. The Bible says, and I, and I love these Scriptures, but His death on Calvary, Christ was that spiritual rock. And so there was a picture, right? We said these Old Testament things foreshadowed New Testament things or typified New Testament realities that were all fulfilled in Christ. We did that in our study in Hebrews and in the tabernacle fulfilled in Christ. But the Bible says Christ once was once offered to bear the sins of many. The death that He died, He died once unto sin once. But the life that he liveth, he liveth unto God. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And so there's scripture after scripture. So what did Moses do? He messed up. You could say he, he marred the type. He marred the type. In his anger, in that moment of anger, and in the flesh, he smote the rock. God said, speak to it. It's already been smitten. Jesus already was smitten for us once, right? One time for the sins of the world. Just speak to him. The word is nigh, even in your mouth. Call upon him for salvation. Call upon him for forgiveness. He doesn't have to be offered up again and again and again. He's not going to be offered up again and again and again. And so he marred the, the type or the shadow. There was a completeness in what Jesus did, it was finished. It is finished. And so this is similar to, you know, so there was a retribution. There was a punishment from God. It wasn't without mercy. It didn't send him to hell because he did this. Not at all. Moses got to be carried up onto the mountain. We'll read about this in our future studies. Look at the promised land from a vantage point. Nobody else got to see it and died there with the Lord, and the Lord buried him, which we'll talk about, okay? And Moses got to be on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus appeared with Peter, James, and John, and Elijah and Moses appeared, and Jesus was transfigured before them. Moses was there all those years later. In other words, he still got rewarded he got the eternal blessings. He got the rewards far better than that land of Canaan that flowed with milk and honey. He got to be with the Lord in heaven. 
And so no amount of his, it was bitter to him at the time. Because we read later in Deuteronomy, um, Moses says, he's praying later, let me go over, I pray thee, and see the good land that is beyond Jordan, the goodly mountains in Lebanon. He's still asking God, please let me go over. Please let me go over. The Lord said, actually said to him, I'm not going to hear any more of this. Don't talk, don't bring it up anymore, Moses. You're not. You're not. You're not going over. Don't bring it up to me again. He didn't, you know, rail on him or anything like that. He simply said, "You're not. We're not going to talk anymore about this matter. Don't bring it up to me anymore." And so, y'all, I'm just going to close with this thought that there are consequences to our sin. I can't stress this enough. The, the Bible says. Moses is recounting this later. says, The Lord was wroth with me and said unto me, Let it suffice thee. Speak no more unto me of this matter. The sin was forgiven. That's what's important that we know. The sin was forgiven, but there were God allowed consequences to that sin in his natural life to, to be carried out, so to speak. In other words, there were ramifications. There was... The sin was forgiven. Don't ever forget sin is a spiritual thing. It's a transgression against God. He forgives the sin. He puts away the sin. But the action that was taken, I think there's a scripture that says he, he forgave their sin, but He took vengeance on their inventions. Think about that. He forgave their sin, but He took vengeance on their inventions whatever their actual practices were. Say idolatry or whatever. He's going to deal with that. It's not going to just go, well, you're forgiven. It's forgiven and what put away. Nothing to separate us from God. Intimacy with God or keep us from heaven. The sin is forgiven. It's put away. But there are consequences. He took vengeance on their inventions even though the sin was forgiven. And so that's, that's important for us to understand that. And our suffering can be a lesson to us. It can be a lesson to us to take sin more seriously, even as a believer in my own life. It can be a lesson to me. There are consequences when I sin. I can't, well, I'll just do this, and when I'm through, I'll ask God to forgive me. Don't do it. My little children, these things have I written unto thee that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The commandment is to not sin. And it's a lesson when we, when we do have some consequences in an earthly sense to our sins as believers. We're forgiven. Praise God. There's nothing in our hearts. There's no shadow of darkness. We're clean. I can go before the Lord and rejoice and lift my hands and worship God. But there might be some consequences to my actions, my sinful actions. It might have hurt my testimony for Christ. Therefore, it put a black eye on his testimony. And God's not going to allow it. He's not going to allow it. There will be consequences, even though we're forgiven. And it is a lesson to us. And it's a lesson to others. Amen? Other believers. And so, I would just close with this. D, you can come. That, that our, we would examine our, our hearts that, again, a couple of points that we would, we would guard ourselves in our strong points, that we would not make any of it about us, 
If God's using you and He's using you in a great way and He's used you for a long time, thank God for it. He can continue to use you for a long time and in a great way and in greater ways. But give the glory to God publicly, privately. Don't just throw the little phrase out. Praise God. Oh, your, your Sunday school lesson was great today. Praise God. I say it too, but I better really praise God. Because it could have been horrible. You know what I mean? It could have been confusion. It could have made me go out of my mind and I didn't know what I was saying. It's all about God. And He gives us that clarity and that thought. And I just want us to guard our hearts and, and minds that we wouldn't fall in sin. We wouldn't... I don't mean just fall in a lifestyle of sin. I mean just anything that would bring shame to Christ. Anything that would, that would, that would hurt our testimony for the Lord. Anything at all. He, we don't have to do that. He, he's, and I've sinned plenty since I've been saved. And, I, and we do. But we, we don't have to. To guard ourselves. Amen. I guess that would simply be it. It cost Moses something. Even though he was forgiven. So I'm just going to pray and, and open the altar.